Hey everybody, for those of you who uh, don't know me, my name's Kent Woodrow, I'm the associate pastor here at Holy Cross. It's really good to have you here worshiping with us. If you do have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians. That's uh, where we'll find our text. You've also got it printed in your bulletins. Uh, it will be projected on the screen behind me. Or if you want a copy because you don't have one of your own, we got some in the back. We'd love for you to take one of those and uh, take it home, make it yours. So uh, yeah, our text today is gonna be Colossians 2 verses six through 15. We're continuing our sermon series to this little letter that exalts Jesus first, only, and always. And as you're finding the passage, um, let me tell you a little story. When I was looking for my first job while in college, man, did I brush up my resume and I put my 3.9 something other GPA like right way up there in the front. And I applied and applied and applied and applied to places. And I couldn't find anything. <laughs> and at that time, I was living with a 72-year-old deacon of a Baptist church, a longtime resident of this little town in northwest Georgia where I, was, where I was looking for a job. And he just smiled and he looked at me and he said, Kent, you know it's not what you know, but who you know. Man, did I hate that. I mean, it comes as no surprise, I'm sure, for some of you all, right? Like, I'm performance-driven. I want to provide my resume. If I'm going to get something, it's because I earned it. I put it out there. I've tried real hard. Of course you're going to accept me. I'm awesome, right? That's not how life works, though, is it? Very often, it's not what you know, but who you know, isn't it? Makes me wonder, uh, what, what would you say is the biggest benefit that you've received? Not because of what you knew, but because you knew someone. Because you, you could point and say, hey, I'm with her. I'm with him. See, those are, those are powerful words, aren't they? I'm with her. I'm with him. With him. That's today's title to the sermon. Here's why. Because you're going to find these words with, in, by, Jesus, him, all over today's passage. So I encourage you to keep a lookout for them as we read. Would you uh, stand if you're able and willing? That's our habit here. As together we're going to read our text for today. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, ending in verse 15. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him according or through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Friends, this is the true word of the living God and he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we we ask what we just finished singing. Open our eyes. Open our eyes that we may behold you. Lord, fill fill us with your glory. Lord, I, I ask that in this room, whether it's for the first time or for the hundred thousandth time, that you would open our eyes to see our Jesus, that you would fill our hearts with who he is, that we would not leave this space unchanged because we have had a true encounter with our living Lord. Lord, you are worthy. We ask that you today would just speak. Your word moves powerfully, and that's what we seek to see happen. So would you speak, Lord? Your servants are listening. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead, grab a seat. All right, so our, our passage today begins with the Apostle Paul. He was this early Christian missionary uh, who, who wrote this letter to the Colossians. He's urging this little church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, to walk, to continue to walk in Jesus. You see that in verse 6, right? That means to continue in relationship with Jesus. He's concerned. He's concerned that this little church, this little group of young Christians, are being sold this bill of goods, that they're being tempted by the, by the philosophies and the customs and the traditions of other religions and, 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 and systems of thought that surrounded them, verse eight, right? Uh, systems that seem to offer compelling self-improvement techniques. You wanna get better at something? Here's how. Systems that offered uh, special knowledge that kind of promised uh, Promise the enlightened person a way to tap into the elemental powers of the universe, to gain, gain some sort of measure of control over a very chaotic world, right? Hey, doesn't sound all that different from what we wrestle with in our world, does it? I mean, we, we probably have more religious sounding or maybe more scientific terms, but ultimately that's what we're looking for, right? Self-improvement, a measure of control, whether it's over ourselves or over the world around us, right? And Paul's saying, he, he says to, the, to these Colossians, like, all these other things, everything else you've been, people are trying to sell you right now, they're bankrupt. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 15, which is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. He goes on to give these Colossians five... Um, Five blessings, five benefits, five perks, right, that they enjoy because, as, as theologians, uh, those who like to study theology will say, because of their union with Christ. The, that means they're, uh, because they belong to Jesus, because they are with him, with Jesus, right? So these five things are going to be our points today. Don't freak out. They're going to be shorter, okay? Five things. Those with Jesus, those with him are filled, included, raised, forgiven, and championed, all right? So, and under each of those, we're gonna look at what's Paul saying and why does it matter, okay? Um, So, starting in verses nine through 10, Paul says, those who are with Jesus are filled. Okay, so what does that mean, right? Hey, uh, if you want the um, 
fuller picture of uh, what this, uh, what it means to be, uh, that Jesus is the fullness of God, I encourage you to go back, listen to the sermon called Jesus First, Only and Always, where we talked about uh, chapter one, verse 19, where we unpacked, what does it mean that Jesus is the fullness of God? But hey, in a nutshell, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Colossians, you don't get any more of God than you get in Jesus. He is as God as you get. You do not get any closer to God than you get with Jesus. Here's the kicker, right? And this, if, if we fully grasp this, could blow our socks off. Um, all that fullness of God, that fullness fills us. Colossians, this is what fills you when you belong to Jesus. He sends his spirit, his Holy Spirit to live inside you. All that divine fullness now is living in you. All right, so it's a rough analogy, right? Like all analogies are. But imagine you're this little thimble and Jesus is this big Lowe's bucket. And you're dropped into that Lowe's bucket and you're surrounded by the water of the Holy Spirit. You do not get any more full, any more wet than you are surrounded in Jesus. All right. Jesus is everything. He is the fullness. You do not get any more or fuller of God, any more connected to him than you are being with Jesus, with his Holy Spirit living inside of you. All right, so why does being filled matter? Let me ask you. Have you ever had a relationship that, that filled you? Maybe filled your life with joy, filled, filled your heart with, a, with, with happiness, like put, filled your days with light, uh, your mouth with, with laughter, right? Uh, and maybe you're like, well, that sounds nice. You've probably tasted that in just a, like a small measure at the very least, right? All right. Have you ever had that? And then have you ever lost that relationship? Have you ever lost that? See, the loss of any relationship very often leaves something of a hole in our lives. But the loss of that kind of filling relationship, one that, that, that fills you, that, like that, that's the worst heartbreak ever. And that's the worst kind of emptiness. That's, it's almost like you can't like fill your lungs with breath, right? Hey, friends, that's the relationship we lost. That's the, that, that kind of filling relationship is what we lost when we walked out on God, the one who made us to be filled with him, right? And see, ever since then, humanity has been haunted by this, by this emptiness, this ache. And we all know it, right? We all know it. That's, that's why we're out there desperately trying to, to fill ourselves with, you name it, just trying to satisfy that ache, right? Do you feel that emptiness? Here's what's beautiful. You know the emptiness. And the good news is our Lord knows we're empty too, right? He knows that because he's the one who made us to be filled with him in the first place. And he hasn't given up on that, right? Uh, that's why Jesus came into this world, to, to restart our, our broken and dead hearts, to, to fill our lungs again with his, with his wind, his breath, his spirit. Again, remember, that's the same word in both Greek, Greek and Hebrew. To fill us with him. And friend, you're, you're not gonna find that kind of fullness anywhere else, no matter where you look. That's why Paul was pushing into the Colossians. That's why he warned them so, so intently. Colossians, 
you've been filled with Jesus. Don't look anywhere else. The one who is the fullness of deity himself has filled you. Nothing else will satisfy you like being with him can. And friend, uh, don't just take Paul's word for it. The Christians in this room who have walked longest with God can also tell you that there is nothing more satisfying and more filling than being filled with God being filled with the Lord. Okay. So if you want to be filled, if you want to satisfy that empty aching in yourself, guess what? It's not what you know, but who you know. So not only are those who are with him, with Jesus filled, they're also included. All right. So what does that mean? And where do we see inclusion in, in our passage today? Let's look down at verses 11 and 12. Okay. You see how Paul is linking baptism and circumcision here? All right, hey, uh, quick heads up. For some of y'all, it's going to feel like I'm going to go all Presbyterian on you. Because I want to talk about infant baptism and all that sort of stuff. Hang in there, okay? Uh, I think this is beautiful. All right, so circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament, uh, they're initiation rites. See, these, these are the signs of inclusion put on people who, uh, who to put it crassly, have, have joined the club of God's people, right? The same way that you might receive a Costco membership card, uh, a, a class ring, a, the, the tattoo that's required by your sorority or your fraternity, right? It, it's something that marks you as a part of a group of people as opposed to everybody else who isn't part of that group of people, okay? And just like circumcision was given to, was, was the right of an eight-day-year-old male born into God's covenant family in the Old Testament, we believe the same is true for infants born into God's covenant family in the New Testament, okay? Now, these initiation rites are like, they're just jam-packed with all this parallel uh, imagery, okay? But one of the things that is symbolized by circumcision and baptism is being included by the removal of what is death-tainted and unclean, okay? being included by, what is, by the removal of what is death-tainted and unclean. All right, so in, in circumcision, here's how you see this. Snipping off that foreskin represented removing the unclean, that part of yourself that in, in a world with mostly uncircumcised males made you look like the rest of an unclean and, and dying world, right? It's the same imagery in baptism. It's a little easier to understand washing away that unclean filth, the, the dying bits of your body with water, okay? Why does all that matter? It mattered, it mattered to the Colossians because what Paul was saying to them is, hey, Colossians, I know that the Jewish community that surrounds you right now, they're telling you, you you're not really part of this. You are not really one of God's own until you've received the, the, the sign of circumcision. And he says, but Colossians, if y'all have been baptized, if, if you've received that sign of inclusion in Jesus, you don't need circumcision. You've been circumcised by God himself. That's what Paul means when he says circumcision without hands in uh, verse 11. Um, so, so how does that work? All right, let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. Um, so baptism and circumcision as these initiation rites, they're just signs to an inclusion that Jesus himself accomplished, okay? Just like, again, I find metaphors here really helpful because we don't, yeah, 
We do this too in our day and age. Uh, a Costco card, just like the Costco card, is, uh, it may not be anything special in and of itself. But if you don't have that card, you aren't going to be included and you can't enjoy all the wonderful blessings and bargains that means to be part of the Costco family, right? Jesus accomplished your inclusion in God's Costco. It's a crass metaphor, but hang in there. Um, in God's covenant family, okay? He gave you the membership card you couldn't afford. And it didn't cost you a dime. You didn't have to do anything to earn it. But it cost Jesus. And it cost him far more than, what is it, 120 bucks or something like that? It cost him his life. See, for, for you and me to be included, it implies, right, at one point we were excluded. At one point, we, could, we couldn't be in there, couldn't be in the group. Why is that? Because to walk through the doors of Costco, we had to be cleansed from the stench, the, the uncleanness of death. And the only way to cleanse us from that uncleanness, that sin, that stench of death that we brought into this world by our sin was to have somebody carry that uncleanness away and bury it. And Jesus did that. Jesus loaded himself down with our sin, with our uncleanness, with our death. He became that, that symbolic piece of flesh snipped off of the body and left to die to make the rest of the body clean. That's what it's talking about, about the body of flesh in verse 11. He, he became that filth washed off our body, clean, like washed away in the cleansing waters of judgment. He, he buried our uncleanness and our death in and, and, and a lonely grave that he didn't deserve so you and I could be included, so we could be welcomed in. And so now, friends, cleansed from sin, cleansed from uncleanness, cleansed from death, you and I can walk proudly into Costco, into God's covenant family, into his kingdom, waving that Costco card with Jesus' name on it. We are included because of him. And we get to enjoy the full blessings of being included in that kingdom. Hey, uh, so do our kids. That's what we believe. They, here's, here's why. Like, they don't just get to taste the, the $2 massive pizza slices or the like, hot dog, whatever it is that they have. At, I actually don't have a Costco membership, so this is not an advertisement. Okay? Uh, but, so, I, I'm speaking from experience when it comes to being excluded. I'm just saying. So, uh, hey, but our kids get to taste that. They get to walk in there. Parents wave the card, kids get in free. They get to taste the blessings of being in a family that's connected with Jesus. They get to taste the, uh, the, the blessings of worship in this kind of community, of being invested by, in by a community of Christians who, guess what we want more than anything, is to see them be Christians too, right? They get, they get the blessing of exposure to King Jesus and to his word. Other people out there don't have that. Our kids get that here. And our prayer and our hope, what we labor for as a church, is that they will never want to shop anywhere but, guess where? Costco. But in Jesus. That they will only ever claim Jesus as king. And then when the time comes, 
but they will very eagerly receive uh, their own membership card from King Jesus, right? Because why wouldn't they? They wouldn't want to be anywhere else, right? That's what we want. Hey, what does this mean for you? Do you want to be included? Do you want to be included? It's a high school question, right? Always feeling excluded on the outs, like we're not quite in yet. We all know what that's like. You know where that ache comes from? It doesn't come from working your way to the top of the food chain. It doesn't come from finally getting into that group that you feel excluded from. You know where that ache comes from? Because you need the Lord. And he is throwing his arms open and willing to include us, right? Do you want that? Do you want the life that you were made for? Do you want to be filled with God, the God that you were made for? Because if you do, then there's only one place to get that membership card. And that's with him, with Jesus. So if you want to be included, remember, it's not what you know, but who you know. All right, hey, that was the longest point. I felt like that was important. So that's the long, everything else is shorter from here on out, I think. So, um, so not only are those who are with him filled and included, they're also raised, all right? So what does this mean? Let's look at verses uh, 12 and 13 here. See, as the Bible sees it, our sin, our rebellion against God, Paul calls it our trespasses, right, in verse 13, This isn't just the stench of uncleanness and death that excludes us from God's company, right, and and his blessing. Our sin, our rebellion, it actually kills us. And not just metaphorically speaking, um, as in like we're under the sentence of death because we've rebelled against the maker and the king of the universe. Yes, that is true. But as the Bible sees it, being cut off from God himself, the source of all life, the life-giving one, being cut off from him, I mean, means we're dead inside, right? So we're a bit like that dead tree, dead on the inside, and the outside's just waiting to catch up. We may be standing for now, but we're not standing for long, okay? But if Jesus has taken away our sin, like we just talked about, He's removed our uncleanness. He's removed our death and he's reconnected us to the life-giving God. If we are with him, then as surely as he rose from the dead, we will rise too. Literally, think about it. Like sometimes we talk about resurrection. He literally rose. He stood up in his own tomb, shook off death's desperate clutches. Just as surely we who are with him, who trust him, we will be raised too. See, the bouncers who would stop us at the door between this dying world and Jesus' life-giving kingdom, they're not gonna stop us. You wanna know why? Because we're with him. We're with him. With our Jesus. All right, so why does that matter? All right, here's why. Because friends, this is the answer that has plagued humanity from like almost near the beginning, from the get-go. It's the problem that our best scientists are working on, 
and trying to unravel. It's, it's the problem that has caused the most angst to philosophers. It's the problem of death. And there's only one viable answer. Wanna know why? Because there's only one man in history who has ever passed through death and emerged from it invulnerable to it. Hey, look, I get it can be hard to believe. Believe it or not, like if you're sitting here in this room and you're like, well, Christians believe wacky stuff. Yes, we do, and we think it's all true. But you also wanna know something? There are Christians in this room wrestling with that, with that reality themselves. So you're, you're, in, a, you're in a good place. Um, because guess what? Believing in a man who like overcame death, who actually rose from it, may seem like, well, that, you know, I'm not gonna believe that as a modern person. Well, people in Paul's day, that's what they struggled to believe with, almost more than we do, right? Um, it was hard for them to, to wrap their minds around this. But that said, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses who claimed they saw the crucified Jesus alive, well, and powerful, right? And when many of them were faced with the choice between death and giving up this claim that they had seen Jesus, you know what they chose? They chose death. I don't know why. Because they believed that if he beat death, then maybe he'll beat it for me too. And I can go to my death trusting he is going to draw me all the way through. Right? Hey, Christian, do not give up the resurrection of Jesus. It has been popular in certain brands of Christianity to do that, to dismiss that. If we do not have the resurrection of Jesus, then we have nothing. Right? We're just, Jesus just becomes like another moral teacher, another good example, right? He's got nothing to offer us in the face of death. But with our powerful living Jesus comes, verse 12, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, verse 13, who makes us alive together with him. Friends, in, in the resurrection, we have what no other religion or, or philosophy or system out there can offer. We have proof of life after death and of our guarantee of it, right? Hey, if you're not a Christian today and, and, and you want this guarantee, this sounds good to you, you want a guarantee of life after death, you wanna be raised, remember, it's not what you know, but who you know. So come to Jesus, literally. Come to Jesus. Be with him. Come to him because those who are with him are filled, included, raised, and they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Where do we see this? Look at uh, verse 13 and 14. Okay. Uh, do you guys see the, the debt language that's all over these verses? Uh, forgive, uh, forgiven trespasses, verse 13. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands in verse 14. All right, so what's Paul saying here? Hey, have you ever had the debt collector come calling? Oh, that's scary, right? Like you owe more than you could possibly be worth and it's time to pay up and you got nothing. Butterflies fly out, you know, when you open your pockets. Got nothing. It's a terrible feeling. 
Like being in debt, like that's, that's a huge weight to bear. And here in the U.S., we have protections so that um, debt collectors can't necessarily come and just clean you out entirely. But that wasn't the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, like if you couldn't pay up what you owed, they went after like everything to the point that you and your family could be sold into slavery to make good on your debt and the legal demands of what like you owed. That's the picture here. See, we, we owe a debt to God that can only be paid with our lives, right? Parents, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture your kid comes to you, all right? And they tell you, mom and dad, I've decided I want total autonomy. Total autonomy. I'm, I'm done with this relationship thing. I want legal, full legal separation. And just to make sure that you don't feel like you have any claim on my life, show me the bill. Show me the bill. Give me every, tell me everything I owe and I will pay it back to you. All right, parents, how, how do you even begin to calculate that? Right? Like, how, how do you even start? The money that you've spent on your, on your kid, the, the compensation for the amount of time that you've poured into, right? The, the, the things that you had to do that no job would ever ask somebody else to do, right? For the resources that have been consumed, for the, for, for the very lifeblood in their veins, how, how do you even begin to tally up that? Friends, that's what we did. In our rebellion against God, that is what we did to our Father. And that's just a small picture of what we owe. And that bill has to be paid legally. That, that big, fat number in the red has to go somewhere, right? Those are resources out of somebody's pocket. The question becomes, whose? And Paul's answer there is, it came out of Jesus's pocket. Came out of Jesus's. Hey, why does this matter? Do you remember another uh, critically important time that debt language was used? It was one of the last things Jesus said while hanging on the cross. He said, "Tetelestai." It is finished. See, that, that, that's the word that lenders would write on, on re receipts of debts that had been paid. The debt is satisfied. Payment has been rendered. The account is closed. That's what it took to forgive our debt. That's what it took. It took the king's blood to blot out what, what we owed. He had to eat the cost. Because, friends, that's what forgiveness is, right? It's not exacting retribution. It's, it's eating what is owed yourself, the way we parents do that for our kids. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for those who are with him, right? For those who are with him, he says, give me your bill. Give me your bill. And over it, he writes, tetelestai. It is finished, paid in full. And he writes that in his own blood. And then he takes that bill and he nails it publicly to the cross so that the debt collectors can never come calling again. Friend, do you want freedom? 
Do you want to be freed from the weight that is crushing you right now, the weight of everything you owe because of everything you've done? Do you want that? Because if you want to be forgiven, again, it's not what you know, but who you know. So not only are those who are with him, with Jesus, freed uh, or filled, included, raised, and forgiven, they're also championed, right? We see this in verse 15. Hey, don't, don't miss what this uh, image is evoking here. See, Paul, Paul is portraying Jesus here as the victorious champion. He's, he's the conquering king. He's the one who has conquered his enemies and he's leading them through the streets of his city, uh, which is, by the way, like, sounds a little foreign, but this is a practice that warlords and kings would regularly do in the ancient world, okay? And this public display of taking your conquered enemies and kind of walking them down Main Street did two things. One, on the champion's part, it communicated, I'm the champion. And no one dare rebel against me. I am the champion. But it also did something else. It also gave the champion's people a chance to share in his victory, right? Say, hey, that's my king. I may be just, you know, Joe the Tanner here, but my king is leading the kings of other empires and nations down our street. And because he's my king, I'm better than the kings of all the other empires. That's, that's, how, uh, that's how Grecian culture and, and ancient Near Eastern culture would have seen that. We're better than these people, right? Hey, that may sound foreign, right? But why would this matter? Because as foreign as that idea sounds, you actually know what it's like to ride the coattails of someone else's achievement, to be championed. Think about it. Next Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, well over half of our nation is going to be wildly celebrating touchdowns as if they themselves had scored those touchdowns, right? They'll be basking in their team's win or else mourning the loss with their champions. And friend, no matter what you hear screamed at the TV from all the armchair players next week, nobody in this room could stand on the field next week, right? None of us could do that. We couldn't perform with our favorite teams, but if we're gonna beat our rivals, we need our champs, right? We need our champs. All right, now I want you to picture that the rival team isn't packed with 300-pound men just waiting to beat the snot out of you, but instead, that rival team's roster includes sin. Satan, death, the powers of darkness that we wrecked this world with. And no matter what you may tell yourself, yeah, I could take that on, you can't. You can't, you need a champion. And then King Jesus steps on the field. And you just watch as he wipes the floor with the other side. They just get obliterated. And friend, like his victory is literally for you. For you in a way that like Tom Brady could never be. Because friends, again, if we're, if we're gonna be filled, included, raised, and forgiven, we need a champion. 
one, one who is going to stand in our place, one who will earn for us what we could never earn for ourselves, which is the right to be forgiven from our sins, to, to be raised from death, to be included into God's family, to be filled with God's spirit. Hey, what's Paul's point? His whole point to the Colossians and giving them these five blessings, these benefits, these perks that, that are theirs. What he's doing is he's saying, Colossians, where else would you go? Where else would you go to get this met? Do you see everything that you have because you are with him, with Jesus? Who else can offer you this? Hey friend, whether you are maybe exploring Christianity for the first time, or maybe you're a Christian in the middle of like deconstructing, kind of working through your faith and saying, I'm gonna check, take this out, I'm gonna include this, I'm gonna keep this. Here's my challenge for you, okay? It's my challenge for all of us Christians, because at some point or other, we, uh, we often come to this the crossroads, the crisis point, where you're like, ah, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Here's what I'm gonna say. Where else would we go to have these, the deepest needs of our human heart and our experience? Where else would we go to have those met? Only in Jesus do we find what we want, what we at our core most need. This need to be forgiven, to feel that crushing weight of everything that you've done removed. This need to, to be raised from death not having to fear what is to come. Being able to trust that there's life on the other side. This need that we have to be included because we feel on the outside. And we just need someone to look us in the face and say, you're mine, you belong with me. This need that we have to be filled so that that empty ache just goes away. It's satisfied. And this need that we have for a champion, for someone who will stand up for us. Holy Cross, do you see what we have? Because we are with him, with Jesus. The one who fills us, includes us, raises us, forgives us, and champions us. Hey, would you celebrate him with me now? Lord, we, we come to you a very, very needy people. And unlike so much of our experience, where when we come needy, we get turned away. We get shut down. We get told to go somewhere else because we're not cool enough. We don't have what it takes. When we come to you that way, you welcome us. So Father, I pray for all of our hearts right here, where we are proud and we are refusing to acknowledge our need. Would you expose us to the beauty of who you are and to the depths of our need and draw us to you. Father, where we um, are freely, desperately feeding, feeling that need, and trying to fill it with something else, I pray, Jesus, would you fill that need? Would you cause us to turn to you and to you alone? For, Lord, only you can satisfy us. Thank you for making us, to, for uniting us with you, for being ours, for making us with you. I pray all this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.